You're listening to Rocks Across the Pond, the curling podcast that goes around the globe looking for the best stories in the world's coolest sport. We have curling news and views for everyone, whether you're playing in your Thursday league or following your favorite teams on tour. Now here are your hosts, Ryan McGee and our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Havercroft. You'll notice that Ryan is not doing the intro today. That's because he just, um, with his wife, obviously, celebrated the birth of their second child this week. So congratulations to them. Both the mother and the baby are doing well. But Ryan's going to take a little bit of a leave from the podcast over the summer as he uh, obviously helps... uh, helps raise a new baby boy. And so I'll be doing everything this summer. And uh, Ryan threw me right into the deep end. So this week, uh, we're doing a a very serious episode, actually, a very timely one, too. So one of the things we've learned, or at least I've learned since we've been doing this podcast, is that the the divide between the curling world and the real world isn't always as neat and tidy as one might like, uh, even though a lot of us curl in order to escape from things. Uh, In this week's episode, we're going to look at the impact of the war in Ukraine on curling. Specifically, we're going to talk to some people who have been supporting the Ukrainian national teams. Uh, So the first part of the episode, I'm going to talk to Natalia, who is the sports manager for the Ukrainian Curling Federation. And Natalia is going to talk to us about the process of getting the Ukrainian national team out of Ukraine once the war started and then how they've been able to support the team in the two months since and the lead up to the European Sea Curling Championship. We recorded this episode, this interview last week as the European Seas were kind of going on. Um, and uh, you may not have may never heard the news, but the, Ukraine, the Ukrainian men's team won promotion from the European Sea event up to the B event, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, great news for them. Uh, and But I think as we're going to kind of hear their podcast, there's a lot kind of more important things kind of facing this team. So we have a little bit of talk about what curling was like in Ukraine prior to the war, how the war obviously disrupted things, and then the support that the curling community has offered to the Ukrainian Curling Federation. So without further ado, I'll now turn to my interview with Natalia, and uh, we'll talk to her about uh, Ukrainian curling and how they've escaped the war uh, in Ukraine and the steps they're taking to keep the national program running um, as they're living out of the country at the moment in Finland. I'm joined today by Natalia Menzega, who's from the Ukrainian Curling Federation, and we're going to talk about the Ukrainian national team and how the war in Ukraine's affected their training and their participation in international events. So first and foremost, Natalia, welcome. Uh, how are you doing and, and is your family okay? Thank you for connecting me. Uh, I'm doing fine and uh, one part of my family is in Kiev still and uh, my younger sister uh, is in Dublin now. And so can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where, where in Ukraine are you from and what was it like growing up there? Uh, well, I'm from Kiev. I was born in Kiev, and uh, I have lived all my life in Kiev. And uh, um, Kiev is a big, beautiful city. It is uh, more than uh, 1,500 years old, and I hope when uh, the war starts, uh, uh, 
We have lots of tourists and people see how beautiful Kiev is. And so, how, how did you get involved in curling? Well, uh, I'm not uh, a curler actually, and uh, I have uh, never played, but I'm more like a sports manager. So, uh, curling uh, uh, is not a quite new sport in Ukraine, so uh, we didn't have like uh, ice facilities, stores, other equipment, players. So, people uh, basically knew about curling from uh, TV broadcasts, so like Olympic Games, uh, and uh, that's all. So uh, when we started curling about, started to, to develop curling about uh, eight years ago, um, we had nothing, just a desire to develop uh, this sport in Ukraine. And uh, then uh, we connected uh, with the local information and they helped us a good deal with the equipment and uh, with the experience uh, stuff and uh, so on. So uh, basically we started eight years ago and uh, uh, we opened a dedicated curling facility in February of 2020. So this is what's uh, our brief way from nothing to... Uh, this facility is uh, located in Kiev. Uh, it is uh, located in a trade center. We have uh, a two-sheeter, uh, we have stones, uh, sliders, blooms uh, for people who want to, to come and play and for our professional teams, uh, we have very professional equipment, of course. Are, is there anywhere else to curl in Ukraine or is it just this facility in Kyiv? Uh, this is uh, the one facility, just dedicated facility in Kyiv. And uh, before the war started, of course, we had plans to construct uh, from two to four facilities in different parts of Ukraine to promote uh, the sport and uh, to, uh, to make uh, the geography of curling in Ukraine much wider. But uh, now we know this is uh, not about uh, construction. It's more about uh, the war stops and then we can uh, uh, start to, uh, to, to make Kerman again available first in Ukraine and then think about something else. So what the construction plans are for the future. Yeah, and so so prior to the war, how many curlers would you say there were in the country then? We have uh, one women's team, one women's team who play uh, professional tournaments, uh, four women's doubles teams, and also uh, there are about uh, 100 people that come to the Kiev curling room to, to play like a on a more or less regular basis. Of course, some of some of people, they come and then return, take their friends, and so on and so on. And uh, some people just uh, come try and then they'll try something else. So this is quite a 
naturally, but of course there are people who return. And uh, we had a very good dynamics actually in this uh, season after the coronavirus rules were clear and uh, we knew how to deal with our schedule and so on and so on. So uh, it was better and better from month to month. So we expected uh, a good season actually. But the way he prevented us from playing Korean after the first day of the war, as the Trade Center, our Korean wing is located right closed at the same day the war started. So, I mean, obviously the war has changed everything. Um, first of all, with yourself, were you, were you in Ukraine when the war started? Uh, I was near uh, Kiev, uh, maybe 15 kilometers to the center of Kiev, <clears throat> and uh, actually the morning the war started, uh, a weapon blew up about two, two kilometers from where I was, and it was a military unit, and uh, it was totally destroyed. So we could hear the sounds of uh, the weapon very clear, and uh, the windows of uh, the house were shaking. And uh, the day, and from that day on, every day we heard uh, the sounds of weapons, uh, sometimes closer, sometimes uh, they were more distant, but uh, all the same, we heard it every day. How long, how long after the war started did you leave? It was, it was 10 days after the war started, then uh, it was decided that uh, uh, like two people from, uh, from the board of the Federation, uh, there are uh, two female uh, uh, representatives of the board, uh, my colleague, vice president, and I, all the other staff on the board are men, so they were not supposed to leave, but they asked us uh, to leave because nobody knew at that stage what is going to be, and uh, they asked us to leave in order we could manage uh, the teams and further events and uh, competitions and uh, save our teams, save Ukraine and Korea, because we knew that uh, during the war uh, our colors, our athletes would not be able to practice or uh, compete in Ukraine. So we had to make a decision to collect them at uh, one point uh, in Ukraine, because uh, all of them or live in different parts of Ukraine. So we had to collect them at one point and then uh, uh, let them cross the border and uh, uh, make conditions for, for their further practice and uh, competitions. So we collected all of them in Lviv. It took us about uh, one week to to be on the phone with them, to to write them, uh, so their families would let us uh, take uh, these uh, teenagers because all of our players are quite young, from 17 years old to 22. So they had to. Uh, consult with their families whether they would let them to go 
or not, uh, if it's safe to do now, because uh, it was quite hard to put uh, a person on the train in that time. And uh, it's not like that you could buy a ticket. Uh, the tickets, uh, there were no tickets. You just uh, knew that an evacuation train comes to a certain railway station at a certain time, and uh, it would take uh, predominantly uh, women and children to the train. The men wouldn't be let uh, in the train. So, uh, these uh, categories of um, Ukrainians were led to, to go to the train, and maybe some foreigners, if there were such people, and uh, just left, uh, the train left to a certain point in Ukraine, and uh, then the other train would take uh, people across the border. Sorry, so once the team was across the border, uh, where where did they go? Did they, was there anywhere they could go train? Did anyone help you find a training facility anywhere else in Europe? Or did they have places to stay or friends outside the country to stay with? Well, when, when they left Ukraine, they crossed uh, the border. They, they went to Poland and uh, uh, there they stayed uh, at a regular shelter, not, so, not with uh, any help from... Uh, like uh, friends or uh, relatives, uh, just a regular shelter, like for everyone else. And they spent the three days, and uh, during these days, we bought uh, one tickets uh, to Finland, from Warsaw to Finland, and uh, our coach. Um, and he, he works with our teams. Uh, he was already waiting for them in Finland to take them to Kisakalo Sports Institute. And that institute, uh, Kisakalo, they offered us uh, uh, a stay, uh, accommodation, meals, and uh, practice uh, facilities. So it was uh, a great uh, idea of them to invite and help us and also local information helped a lot at this stage and uh, um, Swedish Training Federation uh, they provided uh, they contacted the, the Swedish Olympic team and they provided our efforts with, uh, uh, with a big bag of clothes, uh, training clothes so this was very helpful because uh, our players uh, could only take current shoes with them, and that's all. So they had, when they went to Ukraine, they had only one backpack with them, and that's all. No boots, uh, no uniforms, nothing at all. Just current shoes and uh, like some clothes to, to change during the travel. And we are also very grateful to Hardline. Um, they provided us with the new rooms and uh, um, pants, both for girls and boys, uh, stopwatches, uh, gloves, uh, and uh, this was just uh, great for the athletes to be able to get ready for the competition with the uh, equipment. And we're also grateful to Kisakali uh, because they offered. Uh, uh, the first aid rooms uh, you know, when uh, 
that is have just arrived, they have no rooms and Kisakalio gave uh, rooms of uh, their careers so our careers could uh, practice. Yeah, I, so yeah, they came with just curling shoes. It sounds like most of them only just came, you said they only came with like a backpack, so most of them didn't have any other personal possessions either. Is that the case? Yes, yes, that's, that's correct. Uh, they can practically nothing because you couldn't, uh, uh, it's not because they didn't have something before, it was just because you could not take more than one backpack to an evacuation train. That was a rule. Wow, so basically everyone just had to leave everything except for one backpack. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. So, do, do the do the players then, I mean, obviously getting the curling equipment is important because they're a curling team, but have they been able to get other things that they need as well? Because I assume like one backpack's not very much. But at least it was a chance to uh, save Ukrainian curling because uh, if we didn't uh, take them uh, abroad, uh, they would not be able to practice and they would have to uh, Take, take some decisions to to know which, which way they go in their lives and obviously there would not be a place for curling in these circumstances. Yeah, that's true. So for the players, has playing in Finland been able to help them take their mind off what's going on back home? Because I assume they all have family members and, and people who are still in Ukraine and friends who are still in Ukraine. I think uh, every one of us of them thinks about uh, uh, what is going on in Ukraine and uh, you're right, uh, they have families and relatives there and uh, it's a modern world and uh, you can call any time and ask uh, your family how things are and so on. So I, I don't think any, any one of us could uh, take uh, um, Take off uh, the situation uh, uh, and live uh, uh, without it because uh, all of us read the news every day and uh, we're in contact uh, with those who are there. And practically, it, it, is, uh, it is just an opportunity for, uh, for the athletes. Uh, to do what they can for their country in the way that they can. Uh, because uh, sport, uh, sport is a great, uh, great magnet for, like, for attention and uh, uh, it is uh, also a way to remind that uh, uh, Ukraine is present at uh, competitions and everyone knows what is going on in Ukraine. So, People could just uh, communicate with them and uh, uh, ask them what do they think about it. And it is also a big part uh, of presence to remind that uh, uh, Russia's uh, actions uh, are evil and uh, Russian sport, uh, there is no place for Russian, for Russian in international sport. I mean, so did your federation make any interventions with respect to the ban in Russia from the WCF? Or? Yes, of course. Yes, of course. And, we had, and not only our federation, there was uh, um, 
like a letter both from our federation and uh, from uh, a unit of federation, so a federation that wanted to, to sign the letter with uh, uh, the requirements for, to, to, to how they see what uh, should be done to uh, Russian athletes and Russian federation. So you know that uh, uh, all the competitions have, have been considered in Russia and the Russian athletes, Russian players uh, will not compete uh, in current tournaments uh, till the end of uh, the season. Let's focus on Ukraine though, because so your team, they got to Finland, they're now able to train and they're now participating in the European Sea Tournament. So what kind of uh, coaching support uh, have they had to prepare for this event? Uh, we, uh, our federation uh, cooperates with Estonian coach, and uh, he was with the teams uh, in Finland during all the time of their stay. And then they, from Finland they went to Tallinn uh, to play a sparring game, and then they came to Igor uh, to play sparring game, and then they arrived to Kaunas. So he's is uh, with them all the time for the teams, and probably for now uh, he's like like a father for for the teams because uh, he 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 spends uh, time with them every day. He's basically for an advice. So, now he's the closest and uh, the most responsible person to them. Okay, so, so yeah, so the, it sounds like, so it's Eric Lil, who's kind of a top international coach for some of our listeners who don't know, but he's coached Estonian teams, but also coached a lot internationally. And so they've done a series of tournaments, I guess, for, for I guess for our North American viewers, they've basically gone all around the Baltic. So Finland, said Latvia. Uh, and Lithuania and anywhere else? Estonia, yes, all over the countries and Finland. And so they're now playing in the European Sea Tournament, which is in Lithuania. And what do they have any talk about goals beyond this season then? Is the goal right now to get promotion to the Bs or is there there other goals for the Federation in terms of what they'd like to achieve right now? Of course, we would like them to be promoted to a B, but uh, this is uh, their first tournament uh, when they had an opportunity uh, to be to be prepared uh, on a regular basis. So they, they had a good preparation period, and uh, uh, we shall see what what, uh, what the results of the tournament will be. At least uh, we know that uh, this is a very uh, good experience for them uh, to play so many matches against uh, all the teams. And uh, this experience will be useful for them in the future. We will be glad if uh, they go to the B, but uh, we will not be disappointed uh, if they don't. Uh, because uh, too, too young team to put the pressure on and to, to tell them that you have to be in the group B. So of course we have plans for uh, for the period after the European Sea Championship. Uh, uh, 
what a local former in the United States Olympic Committee to come to the United States for the summer period and to, to practice in Utah in the, uh, in the Utah Oval Center. So I think if everything is okay, we will, we will go to the United States and continue all the practice and the preparation for the future events. Have, have other federations reached out? You already mentioned that Sweden helped with the kit and the Estonian Federation has helped with coaching um, and the U.S. has offered an invitation for summer training. Are, are other federations helping out as well? Uh, of course, we have heard the words of uh, support, but uh, as uh, we were in Finland and uh, then we are at the ECC and we have a proposition to go to... Uh, to the United States, uh, um, I don't think uh, that uh, something could be offered better than uh, uh, we have. We had uh, uh, a support from our Czech Coding Federation, they offered us uh, to come to practice uh, their eyes, so should, uh, should our efforts be in Prague, and uh, practically that's all. That's good. Are, are there other things? So if people are listening right now, are there other things your teams might need help with? Or is there, you know, anything else you're looking for at the moment that you might need assistance with? Um, well, um, there's so, so much assistance from the World Coming Federation, from the United States and the Committee, from manufacturers uh, um, that we can just ask if there are teams that uh, uh, will be able to play with uh, our teams in the US and they will have an opportunity to, to come to Utah uh, to just come for sparring games and help us become better in the coding field. And probably just to, to get know our teams and uh, communicate with them, and that would be the greatest uh, support uh, if uh, so, for our listeners, are there ways that people can follow your federation on social media, or a way they can contact you if they'd like to offer help? We're on Facebook, and Instagram, and of course, people can contact us via social media, and uh, um, there are also official emails uh, on the, on our website. So every all the information is uh, available from the open sources and uh, many people have reached us so far and both the organic uh, line has also reached us via email and uh, Instagram message. So we're open to any offers to all the communication. Is there anything, sorry, is there anything else you want to say, Natalia, for our listeners? Well, thank you for, for your interest, and uh, we hope we will win, and uh, Ukraine and Ukraine will get better and better, and uh, uh, thank you for, for all the support uh, we have, and hope everything will be good. Yeah, and th thank you very much for joining us today. It's quite a, a powerful story you've told us. Uh, so, And we hope that our listeners will get in touch to offer support in any way they can. So thank you. Thank you very much.
Okay, that was some very powerful stuff there. I, I can't personally imagine having to just drop everything, only have a single backpack to get on a train and having to travel you know, several thousand miles uh, and only being able to grab my curling shoes and a few other personal possessions and then uprooting to an entirely different country. And at the same time, leaving a lot of my friends and family behind back in a war zone. So I think it's just kind of worth thinking about all that team is, that team has had to go through just to, just to be able to play. Uh, as Natalia said, I think one of the best ways you can support this team right now is to follow them on social media and kind of send your well wishes. So they're up on both Instagram and Facebook. So if you're on either of those platforms, I'd encourage you to, to kind of give them a follow and perhaps kind of send a message to them through their DMs. Um, second, the second interview that, and this is one that Ryan lined up for, for me right before he was heading off to the hospital. Uh, is with Lori, who's the sales director at the Kisakalio Sports Institute. And I actually know Lori a bit from my own times there. I've spent, as, I, as we know, kind of a few times coaching the English junior men's team uh, in Kisakalio at the World Junior Bees. And one of, the, you know, one of the really fantastic things about the curling community is how supportive it can be kind of in any time. And so we've got a story here with Lori about how how he and the kind of Finnish curling community kind of stepped up to offer a place for the Ukrainian curling team to live, a place for them to train and some support for them and their coach to help them kind of continue to, to compete as athletes on the world stage. So here's Lari Ikavalko, who's the sales director at Kisakalio Sports Institute. Welcome to the podcast, Lari. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and where you are from? Hello. My name is Lauri Kevalko and I'm 40 years old and I'm working in Isabella Sport Institute in sales director. And what is your background in curling? Uh, I have been working in Isabella since 2005 and uh, I have been also involved for the Finnish curling uh, from year 2008. I have played myself in Finnish national men's teams a couple of years, 2009 and 2010. And then I have been also the head coach of the Finnish wheelchair curling team since year 2007 until 2012. And after that, I have still been like a background person in wheelchair curlers. Uh, I have been member of the Finnish Curling Association since year 2016. So I've been to Kisakalu a few times coaching the World Junior Bees, but for a lot of our listeners, do you mind just explaining to them what the facilities are like there and uh, how Kisakalu operates? Uh, Isakalio Sport Institute is the one of the 11 institutes in here in Finland. Our location is 45 minutes from the Helsinki airport. Isakalio is the third biggest institute in Finland. Our main sport are basketball, gymnastics, handball, and then we have also quite strong cooperation with different ice sports, for example, curl. We are also institute and we have around 250 students. They will study uh, to the sport instructors and uh, that 
cooperation between sport and uh, and study has to be the main main uh, topic to to Kisakalia sport is. Kisakalia has a strong history of collaborating with the WCF. So, can you tell us a little bit about the history of World Curling Federation and curling with Kisakalia? Our cooperation between World Curling Federation has started 2009, sorry, 2008, when we announced the first time World Wheelchair P Championship. The idea came from that that I was coaching Team Finland in 2007 in Inverness, and I realized that how uh, unique and how uh, big opportunities our institute can offer to WCF to arrange this kind of event. After that, we have hosted uh, almost 20 World Curling Federation events. The next event we will have in uh, end of April when we host the first wheelchair mixed doubles world championships. That is very uh, big opportunities, and we are very honored to run this first Paralympic new Paralympic sport event. And we are really looking for to see all 18 members of associations and their uh, beautiful players to come again to Kisakalia. So how did Kisakalia get involved in supporting the Ukraine national curling team? Uh, about this curl Ukraine project, um, it started when my good friend Erki Lil from Estonia, they contact me about one month ago. Erki is the head coach of the Ukraine Div, Div Girls, and he explained the situation, what they have now there in Ukraine, and asked my help to find out how we can take and help Ukraine Girls. Um, after that, I took a couple of calls to Colin uh, to WCF and um, together we decide that we definitely we need to help Ukraine players come out from Ukraine and come to safety in to Finland. <clears throat> and um, we made the plan, plan how we can support them and of course the one part is financial side and um, uh, I collect couple I collect some amount from the local companies in Loya and also Kisakallio uh, give uh, supporting money to this group and and then makes possibilities to this group coming and also WCF pay promise to take care of some part of the cost and also Ukraine Olympic Committee they they found solid sports or some solid uh, program where they also found some part of this 
this uh, budget. So this was like uh, three parties made very good cooperation together. Since you're a multi-sport facility, I'm wondering if you have any other um, Ukrainian national sport teams uh, living as refugees and training in your facility. This group was the first group from Ukraine, but immediately after that, we also took the, the Ukraine Paralympic sportsmen. So at this moment, we have in our institute 10 girls, and then we have around 40 persons from the Paralympic sportsmen and their families. That's amazing that your facility is able to help so much. Um, what what have you learned from this experience about uh, your community and yourself? This project with Ukraine has been very emotional, and uh, uh, and it it has been uh, very nice to see how quickly and how deeply cooperation we have building with many Finnish companies and for example uh, Olympic committees uh, for example they support there to find uniforms and etc. This almost have come about very suddenly so I'm wondering what the long-term plans are for the athletes and for Kisakalio. We all hope this situation is not going very long, but, uh, but even if the war will continue, we will definitely help them as, as long they will need our help. Aside from living and training at the facility, what is the Ukraine national curling team planning to do for the rest of the season? The Ukraine curlers are going to Lithuania to play the European Sea, and um, which starts on 13 April. And um, now it's still a little bit open. Do they are coming back to, to, to Finland, or do they have some other possibilities to go somewhere else? But at the moment, it looks like that they are coming back to Finland. We will continue our cooperation also after the Europe. Okay, so that was Lori Ikavalko, who's the um, sales director at the Kisakalio Sports Institute and one of the leading figures in Finnish, in Finnish curling, talking to us about the support he and the Finnish Curling Federation have been giving to the Ukrainian national team. As I said at the start of the podcast, these interviews were recorded before the a European Sea Curling Championship, where the Ukrainian men's team won silver and with that promotion to the European Bs. So they'll be playing uh, the European B Championships in November, which is an absolutely fantastic outcome. Um, it sounds like from both uh, Lori and from Natalia that there's other federations stepping up to offer them some training and some support over the summer. Uh, and as we said before, as Natalia said, the kind of most important thing you can do if you've been listening to this and want to give it a little bit of help is to simply follow the, follow the team on either Instagram or Facebook, offer messages of encouragement, and uh, if they kind of reach out for appeals, perhaps donate uh, whatever you can to support them. 
So thanks for joining us today. Uh, I'll be trying to kind of get episodes out fairly regularly over the summer. Uh, and as I said at the beginning, Ryan will be stepping aside for a little bit, but uh, hopefully I'll be able to kind of keep the content coming. Uh, so thanks again for listening to Rocks Across the Pond. Thank you for listening to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. You can find all of our previous episodes and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast app, and leave a review. If you enjoyed listening, the greatest compliment we can receive is when you tell a friend about us. That helps us grow and helps us share our love of this great game. If you have a comment or question, or you just want to talk about curling, you can email us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at curlingpodcast. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at rocksacrossthepond. Thank you again, and we will talk to you real soon.